0: authority over us, that each would do exactly what, you, what your will is, that your will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Bless your church. Wake us up. Help us to do exactly as you want us to do. Thank you that we are your church. What a privilege that is. Please apply your word to our lives as you see fit right now. And we anticipate we will not be disappointed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Romans chapter 8. The wedding was over. The groom and his bride were finally alone. And as the car pulled away, the bride said, Take me home. I'm glad we're married. We belong to each other. I can use your name as mine, but I want to go back to my old apartment. Now that we're married, I'll try to see you once a week. But as far as living with you is concerned, nothing doing. I'm going back to my old occupation, friends, and pastimes. Oh yes, I do love you. I've accepted you as my husband, haven't I? I belong to you forever, but I refuse to let you interfere with my life. Of course, if I'm sick or need money i'll call you at once because after all you're my husband in the meantime thank you for loving me and being my husband but keep your hands off my life and how would you describe that bride and what advice would you give to her and what's going to have to change for the marriage to last many christians have the same towards jesus and we are the bride of Christ. And sometimes we seem to say, Lord, I've asked you to be my savior, I've been baptized, thank you for saving me, now leave me alone. I'm going back to my old life, I expect you to help me because you're my savior. As far as living with you and prioritizing you is concerned, nothing doing. Of course, when I die, I expect to come share the home that you're preparing for us, but hopefully that will not be for a very, very long time. And do you think that marriage will last? In the book of Romans, Paul lays out what people were like before they became, they became Christian, before they came to Christ. In Romans chapter 5, we're told when Jesus loved us. Like in verse 8, God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, and then we respond. Those who do respond, respond to his love in Romans chapter six. We're betrothed to Christ in baptism. And you know, betrothal is as binding as marriage, but we're not living with the bridegroom yet. So we wait and we prepare. We know that we'll also live with him, Paul says, but not yet. On our wedding day, we're gonna be presented to Jesus. John said in Revelation 19, verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice, let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. His bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. But for now, the bride of Christ stays faithful and prepares. Second Corinthians eleven two two says, Paul says, I have betrothed you to Christ to present you to him like a faithful bride to her one husband. And then we go to Romans seven and he develops and describes this relationship. In verse four, he says, you're a new person. Now you're married, so to speak, to the one who rose from the dead so that you can produce good fruit that is good deeds for God. But you know, the sinful life, that past that we used to live in, is still active. The struggle to live for Jesus competes with our desires to please ourselves. And knowing that we need all the help we can get, God sent us a helper. When we were baptized, the Bible says God gave us a gift. Acts 2.38 Peter said to them, each one of you must turn away from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be forgiven and you will receive God's gift, the Holy Spirit. And then we move to chapter 8 that we're in today. And Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in chapter 8 of Romans 22 times. And this is what God's helper does for us. Verse 2, he gives us life and sets us free. Verse 4, he gives us a new way to live. Verse 5, gives us new desires. Verse 6, gives us life and peace. Verse 9, he assures us that we belong to Christ. Verse 10, gives us life, makes us right with God. Verse 11, he lives inside of us. Verse 13, he helps us to avoid sinning. Verse 14, he leads us. Verse 15, he takes away the fear that we have and adopts us as sons and daughters of God. Verse 16, he communicates to our spirit, we are his children. Verse 23, he makes us look forward to being with God. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and prays for us. Verse 27, he searches our hearts and pleads with God in harmony with his will. In fact, this is the only book of the Bible that says that the Holy Spirit prays for us. Burger King is one of my favorite restaurants. They had a slogan for 40 years. Have it your way. And if you're old enough, you might remember this. your way, have it your way, have it your way at Burger King. May I help you, sir? Two Whoppers, two Whopper Juniors, and four Coca-Cola. And would I have to wait long if you made one Whopper with no pickle and no lettuce? No, sir. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Well, in that case, I'll bet I you have remember that they recently changed their slogan to be your way in fact Burger King said that people can and should live how they want anytime they changed their slogan they said because have it your way focuses only on the purchase the ability to customize a burger By contrast, be your way is about making a connection with a person's greater lifestyle. They're basically saying, indulge yourself. You don't have to just have it your way. Be any way you want. And you know, there's Christians that leave churches because they want everything their way. They want Burger King Church. And their favorite church, hymn. and I'm not going to sing it. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, do special orders, don't upset us. All that I ask is that you do things my way. I want it my way at Burger King Church. Or we can let God have his way. The Holy Spirit helps the bride of Christ stay faithful. And the Bible teaches that Christ's bride is basically like the one in my opening story. Willful, selfish wanting to do what she wants rather than what Christ wants. And in the end, we'll stand before Jesus and we'll tell him by our actions, Lord, you had your way in my life. Or Jesus will tell us, I tried and failed with you, so have it your way. Some brides are somewhat like Bridezilla. And I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. It's a TV series that debuted June 1st, 2004, it's in its 12th season, 187 episodes of Bridezilla. Bridezilla comes from brides and Godzilla. It's a term that describes difficult brides. And here's how one website describes a Bridezilla. The interactions are generally negative, exposing the featured bride-to-be as uncontrollable, bullying, emotional, and doing whatever means necessary to get what she wants. And the story ends with the marriage, the wedding. Who would want that? And in the same way as the bride of Christ, we can pursue what we want or what God wants. Me first or God first? My priorities or His? In fact, there's always gonna be those two types of Christians. Paul says in Romans 8 verse five, this is the first type, Those who let themselves be controlled by their lower natures live only to please themselves. Those who follow after the Holy Spirit find themselves doing those things that please God. We're one or the other. But we get to decide who's large and in charge, and in the end, we're going to be judged by who we prioritized. That's why the Bible says, try to learn what pleases the Lord Colossians 1 10, live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. In Galatians 5 16, Paul says, let, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other. Artists often convey this struggle that we have as a good angel and a bad angel on opposing uh, shoulders, each trying to have their way. But really, James says it's more like James 1.14, temptation comes from our own desires. Which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. When sin is allowed to grow. It gives birth to death. Colossians 3.1. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. By the way, he's, Paul is saying this to Christians. And he says in Romans 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The mind governed. And you know as well as I, there are good and bad governors. Proverbs 29, 2 says, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked are in power, they groan. How true. When the governor of our life is our flesh, spiritual death will follow. When the governor of our life is the Holy Spirit, we will live to please God. But the flesh is in conflict. It has its own mindset, Paul says in Romans 5, 8. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, here's a dictionary definition of mindset. It's defined as a fixed mental attitude that predetermines a person's response to a situation. Okay, several people dropped off on that one. Mindset, it's a habitual way of thinking. It's a a set of assumptions and methods held by one or more people or groups of people. A mindset is what makes a person go along with a crowd letting the crowd determine their worldview and philosophy of life. The mindset is what makes a person adopt or accept the crowd's behavior and choices. It's also known as groupthink. It's based on a desire to fit in to a group, and there's constant pressure to agree with members of that group at all costs. If you don't do what the group says, you're going to be an outcast, and you see it when high school kids move away and go to college for the first time and they get sucked into the mindset of the school and students and professors. The college group will demand that everyone think and act as they do, which is often based on setting their minds on things of the flesh. Isaiah 53 verse six says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has, have turned to his own way but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We were all part of a mindset at one point. But it all falls on Jesus. When our minds are set, it's hard to get a person, including Christians, to think as God thinks. And that's why the Bible teaches us in a couple of chapters in Romans 12:1 and 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A transformation will take place when we allow the Holy Spirit to be our governor. Paul says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And when our mind is set on God, the Bible says in Philippians 4 verse 7, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is how how we fix our thoughts when our thoughts are broken. Otherwise, it's G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. That's a computer science term, and it was first used in 1957. It's also known as stinking thinking. Flawed input produces flawed output or garbage. But we get to decide who programs our mind. Isn't that wonderful? It's going to be the world or our desires, or it's going to be the Holy Spirit. So Paul says set your mind. The Greek word means orient your life, direct your thoughts. Be of the same mind, agree with, be in harmony with, cherish the same views. And the same word is used in Philippians 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Be of the same mind toward one another, do not be haughty in mind. And when a person says that uh, you're set in your ways, they're not complimenting. Being set in God's ways, though, is a very good thing. Colossians 3 verse one says, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. But even with Christians, it's a constant challenge to think about what Christ wants from us rather than what we want, and we remember Peter in Matthew 16 where Jesus turned around and said to Peter, get away from me Satan, you're an obstacle in my way because these thoughts are yours. They don't come from God but from human nature. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And the Bible defines what it looks like to walk or live according to the flesh. Paul told another group of Christians in Galatia Chapter 5, verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. And then he says the, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he gives 15, and he says Christians who live like this are living by the flesh sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These 15 lifestyles aren't a a comprehensive list uh, Peter adds to this list, and so do other uh, writers in the New Testament. But these things keep people out of heaven. In fact, Peter said in 2 Peter 2.10, Punishment is especially reserved for those who indulge the corrupt desires of the flesh. Despise authority, bold, self-willed. And describing the mindset of the world, Philippians 3.19 says, They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. See, there's no room for God in their lives because they're so filled up with themselves. The Apostle John adds his voice. 1 John 2.15, he says, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you, for when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. All these worldly things, these evil desires, craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, the pride that comes from wealth and importance, they're not from God. They're from this evil world itself. This world is fading away. These evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. So it's time for a mindset reset. Colossians 3.2, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. The Bible says have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because in the end, there's only two destinations, smoking and non-smoking. <laughs> the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So it's a matter of life and death, heaven and hell strife and peace and Paul says in Ephesians 2 1 in the past you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins at that time you followed the world's evil way but God's mercy is so abundant his love for us so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience he brought us to life with Christ it's by God's grace that you've been saved and here's how to Identify the fleshly-minded person, and that person may be looking at us in the mirror. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 7, it has a hostile attitude toward God. It refuses to place itself under the authority of God's standards. And you've had people say, keep your God to yourself. But Jesus says just the opposite. In Mark 16, 15, he says, go into all the world. Preach the good news to everyone. Everyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And we were all once enemies of God, enemies of the cross of Christ. And you know, the Bible says that he reserves his wrath for his enemies. James 4.4 4 says, don't you realize making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of this world, makes you an enemy of God. And something that's close to enemy is enmity, which means animosity, hatred, hostility. And so many people throughout history have declared war on God and God's people. And there's burning churches, shutting them down and persecuting Christians. Oh, that's in the news today. Media that usually speaks about Christians and churches with absolute contempt and disdain. They are hostile to God. They don't obey God's law. In fact, they cannot obey it because it's only by his death on the cross that Christ destroyed the enmity and brought them back to God. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man who isn't a Christian can't understand can't accept these thoughts from God which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. God's spirit in us appeals to the spirit of man. A fleshly-minded person, though, chooses not to listen. They may listen and turn away and say, not a buyer. And a commentator wrote this, it becomes to them what a painting is to the blind or music is to the deaf. They just can't take it in. The Holy Spirit will give life. The Spirit who gives life has set us free. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life. The Spirit gives us life. And Paul says in verse 11, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from death lives in you, then he who raised Christ from death will also give life to your mortal bodies by the presence of his spirit in you. So what do we take away? Well, let me give you a takeaway from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life, So that you and your descendants might live, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. Burger King says, you can have it your way. The bride of Christ should say, Lord, have your way in my life. Bridezilla, the bride from hell, which probably will end up there, demands to have their way. But the bride of Christ says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. And that's our task. The days are evil. Our time is short. If you've read the the last book of the Bible, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, And our job is to be light uh, and salt and witnesses to the people around us who are possibly not ready to stand before Christ. If we don't do our job, I think a lot of our one-time friends will say, I thought you cared about me. So we need to invite people to church, people to Christ, while there's time. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we pray that you would wake the church up Again, we might be that last church, the seventh church of Revelation, Laodicea, the lukewarm church that Jesus says makes him sick. He says, be hot, be cold, but not tepid. Yet much of the church today is lukewarm. So wake us up, make us hot for you, give us the right words to say, and thank you that Sun City West Christian Church because of you has been faithful. We've stayed open the entire time. The remnant has worked themselves to death, just like remnants throughout history. Lord, we believe you will meet our needs uh, through your faithful people. Lord, keep the doors open, keep the gospel flowing, and keep Christ on the throne of our heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen as we prepare for the Lord's Supper.